Hi, and welcome back to the podcast with me, David Bailey. In this edition of the podcast, we're talking Spomenik. Spomenik are large monuments from the former Yugoslavia, and you see them across the whole of the Western Balkans, and in particular here in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Normally, they're massive structures built out of concrete, and I think the architectural design is called brutalism, but they are very impressive. In fact, there's one not too far away from me in Banyaluka on the hill overlooking the city called Ban Burdo, commemorating the fight of the partisans when they liberated Banyaluka back at the end of the Second World War. In fact, President Tito at the time said it was one of the most impressive he'd seen. And the second biggest one that we've got near us is in the Kosra National Park, about 40 kilometres away from me. But they're everywhere in Croatia, Slovenia, Serbia, Montenegro, North Macedonia. They were everywhere during the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and I think the start of the 1980s. But what is the history behind these Spominik? And where, in fact, are they all located? This is something that has fascinated me. And on some research recently on the internet, I came across the Spominik database. The Spominik database has a lot of information about where these memorials, these monuments stand, a little bit about the history, and some really stunning photographs as well. I thought that the whole project had been set up by somebody from the former Yugoslavia. But I was amazed to find out that it's the work of an American, Donald Niebel. I managed to catch up with Donald via Skype recently to find out more about the Spominik database and why he feels so passionate about it. But first, who is Donald Niebel? I am a 38-year-old person who is from Maryland originally in the United States, and I grew up training to be working in environmental science in in resource management positions, which I'd done over the years. I worked with state government, local governments, federal government, doing various sorts of environmental management sorts of jobs. And I'd been doing that up until about a year ago when I quit to pursue this project of mine full-time. And what this project is, is what I call the Spomenik database. It started in about 2015. I was interested in the monuments that I saw by in photographs by this Bel Belgian photographer, Jan Kempeniers. And he had taken these very kind of artistic presented photographs of these very unusual looking monuments that I'd, of which I'd never seen anything like them before. And I became very curious by them, intrigued by them. And in 2016, I went to go visit them for the first time after spending weeks and weeks researching them, trying to figure out how exactly do I find them, where are they located, and... After going over there for several months between jobs, I was moving from Oklahoma to Illinois and I had a little bit of time off between work. So I thought, I'll just go over there and see if I can find as many as I can. And when I got in through the process, I just rented a car when I arrived and just started driving across the countryside, typing in points on my sat nav and going from point to point learning along the way, talking to people, having people explain things to me and translate things for me. And, and I came back and I had all this information, all these histories, all these translated inscriptions and documents. And I thought, why don't I just put a little corner on the internet of all of this material just in case anyone's interested and also so nobody has to go through all of the pain and trouble I went through the first time just to see these magnificent creations. And that's what I did. And then as soon as I had done that, I immediately started getting feedback from people, not just in the region, but all across the world who were just 
captivated by what I'd put together. And I took that as encouragement to go further. And, and that's what I've been doing since then. You know, I spoke to somebody from the region here, from Bosnia-Herzegovina, not long after I found out that you created this database. And I said, I didn't mention that you'd done it to them. I just said, I'm interested in these. Is there a list of them somewhere in an archive in Belgrade or in Banyaluka or Sarajevo or wherever? And they hunted around and they said, no, there's not one that exists. Is yours the only one, that, that the unique thing that documents where all these monuments are? Even asking a simple question like that, you don't necessarily get a simple answer because, and I think that's what frustrates people about the former Yugoslav region is asking simple questions don't get simple answers. For instance, asking a question like, what language do they speak in Bosnia-Herzegovina? Doesn't get you a simple answer. It depends on who you talk to. And in the same way, asking a question like, how many monuments are there? Is there anywhere that documents all of the monuments? Such questions like that are very difficult to answer in any sort of authoritative way. First off, because even by the end of the Yugoslav era, there was, there was no catalog of monuments across the entire landscape. Even let's just take Bosnia, for instance. Let's, let's exclude the other former republics. Bosnia never did a, uh, a sort of catalog. Even during the entire Yugoslav era, Bosnia never put together an authoritative compendium of every NOB memorial site that existed in that country. And as a result, it's not really known to this day how many existed or exist today. There are a couple, some of the municipalities have local documents for their regions, but some of other municipalities maybe had it at some point, but lost them over the course of the war. Those documents are long gone. So looking at just Bosnia, for instance, there is no complete record. And as far as the work I do, I by no means say that I have that my website or the work I, do, I have done is cataloging every single one. Because if you look at all of the former Yugoslavia, some people estimate there are is somewhere between 20 to 40,000 NOB memorial objects. So that would be a lifetime worth of work, if not several lifetimes by several people to go through and catalog every single one. So my work is essentially focusing on the ones that are charismatic, the ones that are most historically significant, that tell the most the story of the region in a way that kind of encapsulates the region as a whole, that objects that are architecturally, artistically significant, that are larger than life, so on and so forth. I try to find a way to contain myself because you can easily get lost in the enormity of it all if you try to bite it off too much. So I try to contain what I'm cataloging and also cataloging stuff that I think maybe international tourists or people from around the world might be intrigued by or could lead them on a journey of self-discovery for themselves. You're listening to an Englishman in the Balkans. Hi, and dobrodošli. My name is Ivana, and I'm the heart and soul behind the Balkan Seas podcast, coming to you all the way from beautiful Australia. As a former refugee, I've walked the path of resilience and transformation. My mission, to empower Balkan women and men 
to heal, thrive, and grow through my coaching and mentoring programs. Join me on this incredible journey of self-discovery, community, and belonging. Together, we'll rewrite our stories and move forward towards a brighter future. Balkansi's podcast, your source of authentic stories, inspiration, and wisdom. Ready to make a difference? Dive in and follow us today. Most of the monuments are, and, and this is, I know, a wide generalized observation from me, but most of them are in the brutalistic, what they call the brutalistic style of that era. So it's concrete on steroids, but some of them are absolutely stunning. And the one that I have yet to see in, in, in real life, as it were, is the one in Sudetska, this large gateway in the, in, in the middle of, of, of a valley. When you show people that are not from the region these brutalistic designs, we in the West, for example, we like things to be aesthetically pleasing. It's almost, I don't know, it's like modern art for us. How, how, do, how have you found people that you've shown this to who aren't from the region when they say, God, don't they look ugly? Or do they actually see something special in them? I think a lot of times when you tell people that these are monuments, especially World War II monuments or, war, or monuments to massacres or atrocities, people in the West are often confused uh, because it defies their understanding of what a traditional kind of commemorative shape is supposed to look like. It's not something so straightforward as other monuments, other popular monuments we might see other other places, whether it be Holocaust monuments in Poland or other sorts of World War II monuments in the United States, et cetera, et cetera. Often, I think people have this initial kind of confusion upon seeing them and then a fascination by them because it's clear when you see these forms that there is an incredible amount of information that they're trying to convey, whether it be feelings or history or ideology or a sense of belonging or past. And I think people, many people, at least for me at least, have been curious to understand what that message is, to kind of translate this visual vocabulary into something that makes sense that you can look at and it not be necessarily just a like when you look up at the stars and you see nothing but stars and just unintelligible points of light, but when you start to learn about, let's say, the constellations or the universe, you finally can look at it and you can order things, make things make sense. And I think that's what a lot of people yearn for. And I think that's one of the reasons I put together the database and the histories that I have is these aren't necessarily just these orientalized objects as many people in the past kind of interpreted them before I started doing my work saying, oh, look at these weird things that these weird people did. They're more obviously than just abstract works of art. They're commemorative objects that encapsulate a shared history for millions of people in many cases. You mentioned that phrase there, a shared history. Going around and looking and documenting these objects, some of which are almost non-existent now they've been destroyed or hugely damaged to the ones that are still almost pristine in a way with the differences of opinion and i'm going to use this phrase it's going to annoy some people but it is what it is there's a certain amount of revisionism happening in the region for example that orchid i think it's an orchid at yasanovats where the concentration camp was is some people will now say it was only a collection center 
as you went round the region, what were the reaction of local people when you went around with your camera asking questions? Was it all just love and hugs or did you have to cope with some hostility and negativity? I would say that generally when I talked to local people and explained to them what I was doing, it was often met with most of all, just confusion. People couldn't for the life of them understand why someone would travel all the way from America to their small little village to look at something that had maybe fallen into neglect or this, this sort of neglected object from another time that maybe is cared about in the community, but they couldn't understand why someone from across the ocean would care to travel so far to see it. And that was often the very first encounter, the, mo the majority of the encounters that I had with people. And oftentimes there were often people, there were people also that explaining what I was doing, they would be not necessarily aggressive, but very forceful in wanting me to understand what this object was. Because I think they often would assume that I was coming from a place of absolute uh, ignorance as far as what this was or what it represented. And so they were very adamant to want to explain to me what this was, to put it into context for me in from their perspective. As far as kind of anger or any sort of meanness, I would say very rare to encounter anything like that. Although, although I would say that I tried my best to be careful to avoid situations like that. And going into areas that I knew were very sensitive, I would tread very lightly and do my best to avoid doing anything that might offend people or that might put myself in any sort of unfriendly situations. I think for the most part, I would say it was overwhelmingly positive, overwhelmingly just curious or excited and very interested to know why someone like me was there. I published a blog post in the last 10 days about Day of the Republic, 29th of November, when Yugoslavia, it was their Republic Day. Some of the reaction I got from young people was, what republic are you talking about? To quite an outpouring on direct messages. Now, nobody put this publicly, but through direct messaging, personal messaging and everything else, especially on Instagram, a lot of people said, I miss it so much. Yes, it was a great day for us. It was one of the best holidays we ever had. Oh, to go back to those times, etc. So bringing it back to the young people, and for example, my wife's niece, who's now 16, has got no um, perception of what it might have been like. Grandparents only talk in, 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 in certain ways about it. Some groups here think it's a betrayal if they talk about their, their history. The database, though, has got a part, in my humble opinion, in education for future generations. Did you see it as such a thing, or is it such a thing in, in your aim to be an educational tool, Donald? Oh, yeah, I would say very much part of what I do is meant to educate people no matter where they are, whether it be in South America or Australia or in Montenegro or wherever. There, I get messages from people. I remember one I got not that long ago from a woman in Slovenia who said, that she knew about the monuments that were in her local area, but she had no idea how many more there were across the entire former Yugoslav landscape. And so even people 
that were from the region are often just amazed by the vast amount of objects, of monuments, of memorials, and all of their various forms and incarnations that existed. Because like I was saying, there weren't often good compendiums across the landscape to show what there was. Yeah, there are a couple books here or there that show the biggest one, the most significant ones, but there was no one resource. There was no one-stop shop to show you the vast amounts of hundreds and hundreds of sites that there were, much less how to get to them, directions, photographs, all of the information that I provide on my website. A lot of the histories that I detail for individual monuments sometimes are the first time that histories about a particular incident at this location has ever been written about in English, or the author of the monument the first time they've been written about in English. And I try to do my best to reach out and find this information and make it accessible to people who might not otherwise have a way to locate it. I assumed, and you should never assume I know in the English language because it makes an ass out of you and me, but I was assuming that the Yugoslavian state had funded the building of these huge monuments only to find, from my research anyway, uh, very limited though it is, that the local communities foot the bill for these. And some of these communities are quite rural, very small, with not much in the way of income, yet people are very proud. My wife, for example, says, my grandfather used to haul rock up to build the one uh, looking over uh, Banya Luka. So when you were going around doing the research, did people reflect that, that they felt that this was part of their community or had they forgotten about that in, in the mists of time? I think it really depends on where you go, who you talk to, the people in just about every community can have different feelings, remembrance, practices, ways of looking at the past. And even within close proximity, I don't think you can't necessarily look at just one former republic or and say, this is the, the practice here. It really depends on almost on an individual community level, how monuments, how memorial objects are treated they almost often act as barometers to how people interface with their own history. And I think that's a unique attribute of these, of, of the monuments in the sense that they can tell so much. They act as like a fulcrum to learn about not just the history of the region, but to learn about how people that still live in these communities feel about their own history and how history the idea of history has changed, what is memorialized, what is remembered, what is forgotten. There's just so much that through the World War II monuments of Yugoslavia, so much that can be learned about the country, the past, the present, um, and so on and so forth. You said that it could take two, three, four lifetimes, actually, to get all this documented. What's the plan, to, what's the plan for Donald coming back? You, uh, have you got more trips planned to come back to do more? Or is it now just a pure academia that you have to take care of? Oh, I definitely plan on coming back probably in the spring. The last several years, I've spent at least somewhere between one to two to three months in the region every year. And so I definitely plan on coming back again. I have lots more people to talk to and meet, a lot of colleagues to interface with. I have lots of more 
monuments to see and even potentially do some events, some talks and tours, maybe even. And it's just become this huge thing, almost like an institution in and of itself. The database that I've put together, I get emails from people just about every day that are just so excited about the work I've been doing. I just got, just the other week, I was in D.C. speaking at the embassy for North Macedonia to an audience there and also at the University of Maryland. And there are just tons of people that are really excited and interested in this subject. And I think that if I can, whatever I can do to help facilitate that, I feel like is, is a worthwhile endeavor. I look at it as living history. If, and as there are a lot of young people, and I say young people, let's say 25 and below, that follow some of the content that I put out from their own country because they're absolutely amazed that an Englishman would, A, want to live here, and two, talk positively about it. Donna, what would you say to young people across the region as far as these Spominic are concerned? Is it there's something they should be following, getting interested in, or is it, or do you just say, do what you want? I'd try not to go too much in far as telling people how they should feel about anything, especially as someone not from the region, that's not my business. People, what I want to do is provide to the people the information, the history, as far as I can interpret it from my perspective, from my research, and just put it out there for people to interpret as they will. I'm not, I'm not someone that's coming, I'm not a Yugo nostalgic. I'm not someone that's trying to advocate reestablishing Yugoslavia. I'm not someone that says, let's bring back communism to the region. I'm someone that's trying to do this from a docu documentarian point of view that can say, this history appeared to be dwindling, to be these monuments were falling into a state of forgottenness, oftentimes, or neglect. And I just wanted to photograph them, document them, say, this is what I found. This is the way things exist in this particular spot. Now, this is the history that I found through my research about what happened here, what this object commemorates. And I don't presume to tell anyone how they should digest that. This is simply putting out the, making sure the information is available to those who are interested in interfacing with it. It would be great for people to have some pointers of where they can go on the internet to find the content that you are creating, that you are producing uh, concerning the Spominic so they can do their own research as well and maybe stimulate them to meet up with you when you next come back. Where can people find the Spominic information? The name of my website is called spominicdatabase.org and I'm also very active on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook as well under that same name. So it is very easy to just type in those two words and find out find a whole array of outlets to connect with me through. And also I respond to email very readily as well, info at spominicdatabase.org. And I love hearing from anyone, no matter who it is, whether you have feedback or opinions or just input. Uh, I always appreciate hearing anything that anyone has to say because uh, you know, even as much as, as work as I've done, I feel like every day I'm learning something and everyone has something that they can share with me to help bring me a closer to a closer understanding about the region. I felt like I feel like it took me a good one, maybe almost a good two years of just of reading and research before I even felt like I had a kind of even a cursory 
understanding about the history of the former Yugoslav region as like a general whole. And I think it's often when I'm talking to people about it, people say, oh, wasn't there a war in Yugoslavia? What was that all about? You can't explain that to someone in just a few minutes. It would You could take weeks of anything just to give them a brief understanding. And I encourage people just do as much reading as you can, because I think there's so much that can be learned, not just from the monuments, but from the region itself, learning about the region through the monuments, especially in this multicultural era that we're living in now. Yugoslavia was among the very first multicultural experiments. Uh, and I think seeing how that all resulted in the end, I think there are many lessons that can be learned from consuming and understanding the history of Yugoslavia and what happened afterwards and how it exists now. I really look forward to catching up with you when you come back. I'm sure we're going to keep in touch and it would be really nice to host you here. Finally, here's the question that I like to give people, one that might put you on the spot. Out of all the Spominik that you've seen so far, what would you say is the one that means the most to you? Obviously, that's always a difficult question. I think certainly one that is the most impactful that I hear people tell me that was for me when I first saw it, that many say was supposed to be the showcase monument for Yugoslavia. The one, like you were saying earlier, at Sujeska, at the town of Tientista, Bosnia, Herzegovina. The one by Miodrag Zivkovic is just absolutely amazing to see it for the first time. But not only that one, the one at Podgaric in Croatia is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, there are so many other ones that I could think of to say, to mention. There's certainly one at Drazgoja in Slovenia, you could say, in, in Serbia, or the Macedonium in North Macedonia. So many unbelievable ones that I think everyone... I've talked to people who are some of the biggest world travelers and they say exploring the monuments of Yugoslavia has been one of the most amazing travel experiences of their life. And so I just encourage people, jump into it and you won't regret it. Donald, thank you so much for giving me your precious time today. And please, if you're listening or watching or reading about this, it would be, you, you just got to get hold of what Donald's creating and look at it and consume it. It's fascinating. Donald, thank you so much indeed for your time. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Donald Niebel there talking to me about the Spominik database. To find out more about the various Spominiks, the link to the Spominik database is in the description notes below. I really hope that you've enjoyed this particular episode of the podcast and that you're subscribed to the podcast feed so that you're notified every time a new episode is uploaded. That's all from me for this edition. I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, please do stay safe.